0: This
1: is my body. This my body. This is my home. This my home. This is my body. This is my home. Is my body. This is my body. This is my home. This is my body. This is my home. This is my body. This is my home. This my body. This is my home.
0: So welcome to the first episode of On Being In Your Body podcast. I'm Caitlin.
1: And I'm Victoria. And today we're going to be answering all your questions surrounding our relationship. We are so grateful for all the questions that we received to the point where we've been able to split them all up and create several podcast episodes um, in all throughout different themes like creativity. And today, we're just going to be working through the questions surrounding our business relationship, our friendship, and how we created On Being in Your Body.
0: Yeah. So thanks for being here, and thanks for asking questions.
1: All right. So, Caitlin, how do you feel about the first time that we met?
0: Well, I was terrified because I was meeting you as possibly a potential therapist, and that was the scariest thing I could ever imagine. And then our brief coffee date that we were having so that I wouldn't feel scared of you turned into four hours. (laughs) And I decided we would be friends forever.
1: (laughs) That's so true. And Caitlin and I had followed each other on Instagram and we had met a couple times during collaborative projects we were both involved in through mutual friends but this was like our first time we actually really sat down and got to have some like solid face-to-face quality time. And yeah, at the end of like the four hours, she dropped me off and and to my studio actually. And we were just like, okay, this is it. Like we're friends forever. Um, And so one of the things I kind of had to make clear was that I'm like, if we are going to be friends or build something out of this, I can't be your therapist just because of like, ethics and, and boundaries and things like that. So we decided to do a trade. Um, I ended up reaching out to Caitlin at, on a project I was working on and I needed an illustrator because I'm really shit at drawing and Caitlin's amazing, obviously. So uh, So she would illustrate these things for me while wow. and then in in return, I would give her I would wrap her up in a burrito, which basically meant I'll let you explain this <laughs> one, Caitlin, because you made up the term wrap you in a burrito.
0: So Victoria would do body work um, on me, which basically is just magic, healing, space, mood, vibes, and touch. And so they have this heated table, and so she would have me lay down on this table and then wrap me in this blanket and then put like weighted pillows on me. And I've never felt so safe or secure or loved ever. If ever you can get someone to wrap you in a burrito, I really recommend it.
1: Yeah. And, and, uh, so that was our trade. She would illustrate and I'd give her an hour of body work, um, once a week. And and like Caitlin said, she felt really loved. But that was because I would gently come down to her ear as she was just in this blissed out zen state and be like, I love you. I love you. And she just internalized it so well that, yeah, she just knew this was it. We were meant to be. You always forget that part and it kind of offends me. I
0: must have been in a trance. It must have been, you know, straight
1: over my head. You're like, is that you, God? But it's just me. Caitlin, you are so loved. I love you. (laughs) Yeah, and so after that, we ended up getting together. So we did this sort of trade, and then the trade turned into us realizing that we had a lot of interesting means to collaborate just together. And so I came over one night. No, we met at a wine bar. You know the story better than I do, or you tell it better than I do. We
0: met at the pagan wine bar, and it's really witchy and magic. It's low light. It's very tiny. And we basically just held hands and cried together over how much our work was aligned and how
1: much we wanted to make things. Yes, yes.
0: That was my moment. I think your moment was that night you came over.
1: Yes. So then I came over, and we were talking, and and basically taking further steps in aligning our creative processes and all the thing we lear- all the things we've we learned in our edu- education and our own practices and it was just an explosion of this beautiful profound manifestation of knowledge and wisdom that that came together like two perfect puzzle pieces and we were both so high off this conversation it was dead poet style dead poet society style both of us were standing on chairs <laughs> screaming we were just so excited that we finally found that other person that had that missing link that we didn't have access to to kind of expand our work. And it was just one of the most deeply profound and moving conversations I've still had thus, like I've still had in my life. It was so good, it was so good.
0: Same, that was the best. I think I posted really emotionally about it on Instagram the next morning
1: you did i think i did too that post probably still exists oh i wish you could find it right now so we could read it be emotional about this
0: human wine and brainstorming sessions and then you said the world is so much less heavy when you share a brain with someone and i said i'm gonna go all anne of green gables on your ass and call you a kindred spirit
1: Aww, and here we are. It was funny, Kayla and I actually were texting yesterday about, you know, just we'd like to give each other good pep talks throughout the week. And uh, it was it was nice, because it kind of made us realize last year on this time, we hadn't even launched the course, we just started working on it. And now we're recording a podcast and we're on like round five of our course. And we are launching a residency in the next couple of weeks for you. And it's just kind of amazing at what we are continuously creating together and with all of you and with your support, because we wouldn't have anything if it weren't for that. So it's awesome. It's
0: so cool to me how we're just doing the thing. I think from the outside, sometimes it looks like we just like have all this stuff and we know all these things, but I'm recording this on my phone right now. Yeah, We're just doing the next thing that we want to do. And not that we don't work really hard for it, but you don't have to know and have all this magic stuff to make magic happen.
1: It's so true. I think we're both very resourceful and we just take what we know and build off of that. I think it's so easy and I definitely struggle with this where I feel like I need to have all my ducks lined up and all this knowledge before I'm able to actually start something. And I think that can be a form of you know perfectionism or self-sabotage to the point where you limit yourself to actually being actionable. And so I think what's great is you and I are just kind of like, All right, let's do this. We'll figure it out as we go. And it's really taught us a lot. And we've made plenty of mistakes, but we've learned so much. And I think it's built confidence in our ability to just take something by the seat of our pants and roll with it. Is that what you say, seat of our pants? I feel like that's like, I think that's what you say. I've never said that before. Or,
0: I mean, like flying by the seat of your pants. Flying flying by the seat of your pants. Flying by the seat. That's what I meant.
1: Flying by the seat. Yeah. See, I'm even just making up things. And here I go. <laughs> I'm actually stroking my armpit hair because it's so long right now and it feels so nice. So I got uh, a little... I got a little... That's like... Little, that's
0: very sweet. Look like at my armpit I hair. love that you stroke your armpit hair. We should make an illustration about armpit hair stroking.
1: Yes. I can grade <laughs> it. Okay, so... Okay. <laughs> um, uh, so... So one of the other questions was, how do you continue to build things of value with each other without letting all of your time together become working time? So how do we avoid being swallowed by us just working?
0: Uh, well, the short answer is I think we don't. But the long answer is um, work is... Like we don't view work in the way that work exists. Work isn't a negative thing. Like we take care of each other in our work. Uh, we're very gentle and we love what we do. What we do brings us joy and healing. And so we do work, I think, most of our time together, mm-hmm. but it doesn't feel like work
1: because we're redefining what it means to work. Yes, that's such a great way of putting it. That's exactly what we do. We we mm-hmm. redefine we redefine and we redefine, and I think Caitlin and I both are fueled so fueled so much by this project that, like she said, it really doesn't feel like work. I mean, of course it does sometimes. Like our we had uh, two workshops back to back, plus two zine fests back to back on opposite ends of the country within <laughs> one week, and we had to bind and print over 200 books. I mean it was a shit show and that was work and it was so exhausting but I think even in those moments we learn so much and after it all happens and when it's done we always do something to celebrate, to reward ourselves because rewarding yourself is so so important and we'll go on a little trip or we'll take ourselves out with to a really nice dinner and just basically bask in our love for each other and all the work we've accomplished and yeah so we always do that and i i think i like that as our ritual
0: yeah and we're really good at telling each other when to take a break we're both so driven about our own work and our process (laughs) And I think it's really great that we balance each other out and
1: reminding each other to just, yeah, breathe. Yeah, totally. And um, we also never, well, sorry, I'm sorry, we don't take ourselves too seriously. Like we take business calls while we're pooping on the toilet. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. And we have like a bank of inside jokes that we constantly take out because it's just so important to keep things lighthearted hearted uh, in this work because it is heavy. And so I think we from the beginning have created this foundation of just making sure that when we are being too serious or a little bit too rigid in our approaches that y- you can almost effort effortless. sorry, you can almost effortlessly expect, Either one of us to pull out a really inappropriate joke or say something sarcastic and bring us back to ground zero and bring us back to like push reset so that we're like, oh, haha, we're taking ourselves way too seriously. This is not going to be sustainable if we keep doing that.
0: Yeah. Someone in here asked a question about how do we not take each other too seriously when we're always talking about serious things. And I just burst out laughing because there's (laughs) zero chance of that ever happening.
1: Yeah, it's so true. And I think that's where we build a lot of value is that we have a good way of integrating lightheartedness and friendship into our working dynamic. And, and to wrap it all up, we, 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 Definitely make sure to check in with each other, take time off, and also reward ourselves. And rewarding yourself is important for a couple reasons. One, because that's how you wire your brain to actually acknowledge the work that you're doing. And also to remember to rest and take in everything you've done so it doesn't always feel like you're moving forward, never appreciating what you do create, which I think Caitlin and I, because we're so ambitious, tend to do. So we're actually, it's actually been really great for us to help each other slow down. You've been the best at
0: that, at validating me taking breaks. And I definitely feel, I don't feel guilty telling you I need a morning off or I need to rest or something because you value that so much that it's taught me how to value it.
1: Oh, thank you. You're so special, and I really love you. You really love you too. You're very special, too. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so our society places romantic or um, like your your romantic partner as the most important relationship in your life and doesn't place a lot of value on friendships or even creative partnerships. Um, So someone asked how we navigate building such an intimate and vulnerable friendship within that kind of society.
1: Yeah, that's a great, great question. Uh, So I always look at this question, and I think Caitlin and I both align very well in this way, in that our partners are, they're not, like, although they're the most (laughs) important,
0: The most penis person in our life. (laughs) Yeah,
1: that's exactly what I thought. I was like, well, I could finish that or you can finish it for me. Um, So I think intimacy seems to be reserved for romantic relationships nowadays. But I also, one of my, my core philosophies is that one person cannot meet all your needs, nor should you expect them to. That is a ton of pressure to put on someone you limit yourself from growing and from learning from other people because we all come from vastly different experiences. And that's, so if we limit ourselves to only one person, we're really limiting ourselves from gaining so much more wisdom, knowledge, and personal understanding in connecting with other human beings. And something that Caitlin and I both align on super well is that we both value that so much that one person cannot meet all our needs. And so we thrive really well and foster deep connections with other people because we know that that is just how we are better off. So yeah. There was one thing. I really
0: live for intimacy and closeness in relationships to the point where I often don't have very many friends because the standard by which I think we should show up for each other and the level of vulnerability that I crave is so high. So falling in friend love with Victoria has been just the most magical thing. Um, But I think the hardest part about these intimate relationships for me isn't that it goes against society because honestly, fuck society. It's that conflict can feel so daunting in the moment of having a conflict, it feels terminal to the friendship because we assume that friends never have conflict. They just go out for drinks and they're just the person you have a good time with. And for me, I wanna build friendships where it's the person that I do the hardest things with and that means that we're gonna fight. And for some reason, reflected back to us in culture, you can fight with your partner and that's not the end, but when you fight with a friend, it feels like the end. so for me, that's that's the hardest part is moving through conflict and not running away from it or hiding and just really showing up and embracing that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that's a beautiful way of putting it. And I think we've learned that a lot this year in terms of <laughs> some of the blowout fights we had just under all the pressure and miscommunication. And Caitlin and I were the first people in each other's lives where we've had to share our creative processes and um, our practice. And what's interesting about that is that it's not unique in, in in that so many thousands and thousands of people do that every day. But not all not a lot of people necessarily can claim that their personal practice is their mode of self-preservation. I think because Caitlin and I do come from a lot of we come from traumatic childhoods our creativity, our personal practices, we've needed them to survive and thrive. And so sharing that with someone is the most vulnerable and intimate experience. And I think we've had to sort of learn how to allow, how to trust each other and allow each other into these practices. But also, I think one of the, the toughest lessons we learned was, hey, where do I begin and you end? Where do you begin and I end in this combination of a practice that we've created from our own and that can feel a little threatening so I think because of that we've learned a lot about boundaries and boundaries are essential to all like vulnerable and intimate relationships because I don't care how deep you go you still need to feel safe and you still need to respect when one person needs time off or needs to retreat or needs to have their needs met or their voice heard and so that's a big aspect of it too. I think we don't prioritize in society is that with relationships, we focus on romantic relationship building and we have the Gottman method and all these things, but we don't have these theories applied to friendships and building friendships. Like how many friend building workshops do you see? But we see so many romantic relationships and I think romantic relationship building workshops. And I think you and I are really good at, at breaking that and there, There's a lot of unlearning with that. So there's definitely tension sometimes.
0: Yeah, and I think it's just a process and we're always learning. Um, what are some of your favorite tools or practices we have done to build our relationship and work past them or through it?
1: You start. So
0: I, uh, well, we talk about our personality tests so myers-briggs enneagram uh our love languages actually yours is
1: words of affirmation right it is now you it's it was quality time physical touch uh and words of affirmation were kind of low but now that i have so much quality time physical touch in my life i crave words of affirmation it's really interesting so that's become number one yeah
0: oh that's interesting
1: yeah it is yeah,
0: like mine is always shifting mine is uh acts of service and physical touch are pretty much tied
1: interesting that's yes. why you get so excited when i like make a pdf for... <laughs> oh my god
0: victoria made this like 40 something page pdf that wrote down all the tasks we need to do for the next six months, and I have never loved anyone more. I had such a boner. It was, <laughs> it was the most powerful, amazing moment. I still think about that, and I just <laughs> love looking through it and taking notes on
1: it. <sighs> I guess I must have forgot. I thought I thought access Service is third for you, but maybe I got that confused with, with, I don't know. But that makes total sense now. I'm glad we're, like, recapping on this because – I was like, it's kind of so validating and amazing how excited she she is that it makes me just <laughs> want to make PDFs every day. <laughs> yeah, so that I mean, sense. I mostly
0: just need all the love languages because words of affirmation are also really important to me. Mostly because I am often, I just need reassurance. It's I just need someone to say, "I still think you're great. I value you," which I yes. think we all need that. Yes. But, um. Yeah, like last night, I have a show this weekend, and I have 300 books to bind. And last night, two of my friends, Ian, and Kristen, came over, and they just hung out with me and helped me bind these books. And I've never felt more loved. It was just the sweetest thing. It also felt, I think I have a lot of hard time, while acts of service is really important to me, I have a hard time accepting it, because I feel like I should be the one giving mm-hmm. – or it's, like, a really vulnerable thing to be the person that others are giving to. Mm-hmm.
1: Totally. I'm really
0: good at giving to others, and that feels safe because I think, in a way, I feel like I'm in control, which is kind of fucked up. So, last night, I felt, like, really squishy inside, like, vulnerable, but
1: also the
0: most loved and seen.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and if you're not a cis dude, you don't necessarily have to take on as much – emotional labor that you've been conditioned to take on in our society and so I think we're constantly holding space and giving and carrying the weight that when it's given back to us it feels so awkward and I think it's that unlearning mm-hmm. and undoing and it's it's amazing how we feel shame for something that we do and have been conditioned to do for generations and generations. It fucking sucks, to be honest, and there's an amazing, amazing article I'll plug into this podcast that talks about emotional labor, and yeah, also for anyone who doesn't uh, or isn't aware of the Love Languages test book resource, um, there's this awesome research call- resource based on research around people's love languages. And you can take the test. You can read the book. There, there are a lot of awesome articles around it. And you and your friends, your partner, your parents, whoever, can get a better understanding of how to meet one another's needs if based on the way you accept and need to feel loved and seen. And it's, it's a great resource. So that's what Caitlin and I did at the beginning of our partnership.
0: Yeah. Cause I think sometimes we forget that the love that we want isn't always the love that others want. Mm-hmm. I see this a lot in my partnership with Andrew, like the love that I comes naturally to me to give to him, isn't the way that he receives love. So we both have had to rewire the way that we care for each other, which yes. is opposite to how we want to be treated when we're in the same situation. Like when he's sick, he wants to be left completely alone and if I'm sick and you leave me alone, I feel totally abandoned, heartbroken. Like you need to just be cradling me.
1: Totally. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and and we're not mind readers and we can't just know that. And unfortunately, it would be so much easier to love someone the way that we need to be loved and seen. But we're, like you said earlier, complex creatures and so there's a lot of give and take and learning. And that's Amazing, but also challenging at times. So yeah, so love language test. Also um, in my personal relationships and that I've also kind of integrated into my private practice and um, publicly is it's not very sexy, it's very unsexy, as a matter of fact, and it's not romantic. And I think a lot of times in society we expect, because of, you know, Hollywood and romance and the way it's depicted, like, we're just nine readers and we we know what the other person's thinking, and we just know how to meet their needs, and none of us come from tumultuous backgrounds, and everything's a magical, wonderful landscape of love. But no. So. <laughs> so. That's how you really feel though. I know, right? It's disillusioning. So um, I've learned because of my own shit that I bring through my wonderful suitcase of baggage, like we all do, is that I like to be a little bit more practical, methodical, and dry about some of these things. And so, for example, when um David and I first started dating, I printed off this this worksheet I made, and there there are a bunch of things on it, but to kind of state a few, uh, it was like, what are your three core needs? How do you approach conflict? Um, How do you feel most loved, most seen, things like that. And so we both filled them out, and then we discussed them. And then we also have them backed up in a PDF so that if we ever need reminders or lose sight, it's accessible to both of us. And so... I've just sort of started doing this in all of my relationships. And one of the things that um, Caitlin and I did was we also did that. So we sat down, we discussed like what our core needs are, how we most feel seen, valued, how we approach conflict. Caitlin and I have very different styles when it comes to conflict. I'm more like a mama bear aggressor. (laughs) So we've had to like... (laughs) we've had to work through that and we have different trauma types. I'm a fight. You would consider yourself a freeze. Yeah. And so we've had to figure out how, how to work around triggering one another or sorry, triggering each other because um, fights tend to trigger freeze, freeze trigger fight responses. And so that's been a huge learning lesson for us.
0: Yeah. I think that's, my favorite thing that we've done or learned I think a lot of that we learned through conflict and it actually happening but yeah I think the fact that we understand that about each other is the most powerful
1: it's so true and I think to your point earlier we avoid conflict a lot in friendships but conflict is how we actually grow and it's not necessarily the conflict. That's the issue. It's how we approach the conflict. And so I think through understanding the way we both work, we've been able to approach conflict better without having to like be on the defense or attack each other, uh, which has happened, (laughs) but we've learned from it. So. Yeah.
0: And I think the thing that we're really getting better at is calling each other out or at least talking about this enough when we're not in conflict that when we do get into conflict, that we know better what to say, Mm -hmm. like, don't text, just call the person. I think that's our biggest rule.
1: Yeah. We do not text when we're having a conflict because all hell breaks loose. We call, we hear each other's voice. We hear each other's inflection. Humanize. Humanize. Yes. Humanize the experience. Because technology can really rip that out of you, and mm-hmm. there's a lot, there's a lot of damage control that is done when you just pick up the damn phone and talk to somebody. Yes, yeah. Or if you can,
0: like, be physically in the same room, mm-hmm. do that. But that's not really an option for us. No. So. I'm going to skip one and come back to it because I feel like this feeds right into jealousy. Mm -hmm. So, how the question was, how do you navigate jealousy as a feminist in friendship? So, how do you feel like we navigate jealousy, or do you think that that's a thing we struggle with?
1: So, how do we navigate jealousy in friendships as a feminist? Yeah, it's interesting when we synonymize, or like when we are, so it's interesting that comparing feminism and jealousy is like a taboo. Jealousy is a natural part of life. It's hardwired into us. I think jealousy has been demonized and it definitely shouldn't be. It's a call to action and it's a tool, like any emotion that we feel. And jealousy is just another inquiry into ourselves. It's an opportunity for self-learning, self-growth. And it's not the feeling that's an issue. It's how we, what we do about that feeling and how we hold ourselves accountable in terms of how we act upon that feeling. I think that we can ask ourselves in times of jealousy, why, why? why the jealousy is coming, like maybe it's because I'm feeling insecure. Why am I feeling insecure? Why is this eliciting an insecure response? Um, I think throughout the years I've learned to channel that, maybe through a means of positive psychology, but be like, okay, I feel jealous. So how can I turn this jealousy into a call to action? So what that's looked like for me is I find a way to – allow that person to inspire me instead of necessarily create envy so I'll be like wow I feel jealous because this is something I want or I feel like I don't have Um, so how could I compare values with this person or how could I learn from this person to thus also use this feeling of jealousy as a call to action to um meet a goal or Create a higher standard for myself or accomplish achieve something and that's been a really great learning lesson is to sort of transform that <clears throat> en- that envy or that jealousy into inspiration or a call to action so sometimes like there there is a such a thing as healthy competition and sometimes people just elicit this response in us that wakes us up and makes us realize, like, I need to get my shit together. And so there are a lot of ways that we can channel jealousy into positive, actionable outcomes in our lives, but we have to hold ourselves accountable because I think jealousy can also be very destructive and self-sabotaging and can hurt friendships and relationships and um, cause us to, like, make ourselves small. And so, yeah, I think amongst, um, and as a feminist too, in that way, like internalized misogyny is something that we all have to undo. And so we're constantly being taught, like, we need to support one another, not feel jealous, but that's just not, it's not, that's a binary. And also that's just not how humans work. I think they're, it's about transforming emotions as opposed to not feeling them. What do you think, Caitlin? Yeah, I think that the biggest problem
0: with jealousy is that it's really uncomfortable and we don't want to feel it. So in order to not feel it, we instantly do something else, which is almost always destructive to ourselves and others in order to not feel that, whether that's resorting to anger or mm-hmm. vengeance or, you know, doing something to get back something that's going to, to change that feeling so that you can feel something else. Cause Anger is a lot easier to feel than jealousy. Yeah. Um, And I think the most important thing with jealousy is to sit with it, to let it suck, let yourself feel that. And like you were saying, ask it what it's trying to tell you. Are you, is it bringing up an insecurity? Is it telling you something that you want that you should just work harder for? Um, Yeah, I think jealousy is, I think being jealous is natural. Like it's just an emotion. And it becomes really negative when we decide that it's negative, assign it, negative connotation. And then what we do with it, the way that we act on it. And I think that's why jealousy gets such a bad rap because we just do really shitty and stupid things when we're feeling jealous. It's not the jealousy. It's what we do with it. Yes. Yes. More feeling. More Less responding. Yeah. Wait till you felt it out, because almost everything, every emotion, it passes. Like most are just they're waves, and so if you sit with it, it's going to fade. It's going to transform. It's going to evolve. And I think jealousy is an emotion that you really need to sit with and and let it tell you, let it do the thing it's supposed to do. Let it tell you something, and then acknowledge it, thank it, and then make a decision after you have waded through
1: it. And That's sounded really
0: convoluted.
1: I and I no, not at all. I actually love how you put that because it just goes down to our philosophy of on being in your body. And I Feel like, your feels. And I like how you said and I like how you said that because it reminded me of this saying that I don't know who created it, but I will figure, I'll find out. But Or maybe it's just sort of this universal saying, but emotion is like e-motion. It's energy in motion. And so when we sit with that energy like Caitlin says, we can then process it better. We can feel the sensations. And then then we can figure out what our next course of action is. Maybe we just let it be and let it go. Or maybe we do something, whether it's um, meet that goal that we've been – we've been self-sabotaging ourselves so that we haven't been able to meet it and, and whatnot so yeah i think jealousy is a point of reflection too i think when you feel it and you feel that insecurity and you arise it's also a really great opportunity to bring compassion towards yourself and just be like wow i'm feeling small or inadequate or insecure like And, and give yourself some like love and some positive regard and language and, and, and remind yourself that you still matter and your value is incredible. And that just because someone is thriving or doing well, doesn't mean that you, that you're not.
0: I think one of the best ways that I deal with jealousy is to name it, to, to speak it aloud. Um, sometimes this, makes things feel awkward, but I like to just say my feelings, whatever they are. So I feel like I have some sense of power over them. So Mm -hmm. if I'm feeling jealous or upset about something, for me to go to that person, just be like, hey, I feel jealous, or I'm feeling this feeling, which I think to do that, you have to have some level of understanding between you. I think early in our friendship, I would say things like that to you. And I think it felt like an attack. Like I was accusing you of something. And I was really trying to like take the power out of my feelings. So I was just telling you it. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I'm
1: saying? No, I totally, <clears throat> totally. And I think, I think um, I actually really appreciate that about you because in from like a <clears throat> feminist perspective, um, I think with the way we've internalized misogyny is to sort of repress and, and hold on to uh, repress, but also just never speak these emotions out loud because we're ashamed. like you're not a true feminist if you tell your friend that you're jealous of them or you t- or, or you let that be be known. Uh, and I think it's it's actually the opposite. I think you <clears throat> you subvert that internalized misogyny by calling it out by letting it be what it is and taking the power away from it. And I think the way that you've done that has actually taught me so much about how I tend to repress those feelings in feminist relationships. I'm doing a lot of, like, finger quotes, you guys. Sorry, I'm doing a lot of finger quotes, y'all. Um, I don't have to say you guys because that's not inclusive, and I think it's just a go-to thing. I like, you guys! But I really try hard not to say that. Um... But yeah, I mean, I think you've taught me a lot about that. I'm very grateful.
0: So then this idea of jealousy, how do we deal with dependence and independence? I know I have, my default is to be really dependent upon people. And the way I do that is by making myself indispensable to them so doing lots of things so I feel like they need me so that I won't be left and I put all my energy into one person with this is like the thing that I've done that I'm I'm realizing and so this kind of I think this idea of independence and codependence goes back to what we were saying in the very beginning about how we need lots of people and when you want one person to be everything it's not a healthy balance and so I'm learning to let, like Victoria doesn't have to be, you don't have to be everything to me. I can have other friends who support other parts of me. And so I think I feel a little um, unqualified to answer this question, because this is definitely a, a really big area of growth for me that I'm actively working on. But I think having lots of people and valuing myself and not needing other people to validate me is how I find balance here. Although I, I need a lot of validation. So tell me that I'm great.
1: You're so great, Kate. I'm oh not, thank you. You're so great. Did you know that you're the bestest? I'm so good. Oh, <laughs> you know, to should cut all this baby voice out. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I kind of think it's adorable. Because like, that's another thing, you know, like baby talking is like... Re- there's plenty of research out there and like baby talking can is fine. Like you can baby talk in relationships. Uh but if you're doing it the whole time, yeah, yeah, it gets a little weird. But uh I think that's something we reserve to romantic relationship too. Relationships too is is baby talking, you know? Like how often do we like cradle our partner and be like, "I love you so much, you my sweetie bit." But Caitlyn and I do that to each other all the time and I actually <laughs> like it. It's a form of comfort, you know? And it's having really comforting. Yeah. So, I don't know, like we do it a lot and I actually I actually did it from the get-go and I remember it used to annoy you at first and then you came around and now <laughs> so you do much. it a ton. <laughs> and now I do
0: it. oh my god.
1: <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean I think that I'm not an expert in this either because I think it's like one of those things that we're all trying to figure out. The one thing I do want to mention though is that we tend to ostracize codependence. And I think it's a spectrum. I think codependence can be very unhealthy on the further end of the spectrum. But we need a certain level of codependence uh, as a species, as human beings to come together and thrive, basically what we were talking about earlier. But there's no way you can be in any sort of relationship without some level of codependence. It's not really the, co- like the word codependence, isn't this all consuming negative thing. It's a spectrum. And, and and I think it's like something we need to be aware of where on the spectrum we fall and that dictates how much work we need to be doing. Um, and so I think with um, finding balance between dependence and independence, something that I always encourage is, Figuring out your attachment style. That's a huge one. Your attachment style dictates the way that you approach relationships. And so um, that's like a key to understanding yourself and others. And so if I could say anything as to whether you're in therapy or you need resources, I'll attach some resources for this too, is figure out what your attachment style is. And you'll be ahead of the game uh, and that's really important. The, the, the middle ground between independence and dependence is boundaries and needs. When you understand your needs and the other person's needs, when you understand your own boundaries and their boundaries, you have a healthier means of navigating through dependence and independence. But if you don't, everything sort of gets blurred. It's like a ground for projection and Sometimes toxicity. And so, yeah, it's like simplifying, simplifying, simplifying. What are your needs? What are your boundaries? What's your attachment style? and how much time do you spend cultivating a relationship with yourself? Okay, so how do we make our partnership and friendship work with distance? I think that's a big one. That's a big, big question that we received is how do you make long distance friendships work?
0: Well, we FaceTime once a week. Mm-hmm. We text almost every day.
1: Granted, um, we also have a lot of, like, work we're doing daily. so Yeah. So that skews it. I don't know, like, how often long-distance friendships text every day. But it's not a bad habit to get into. Like, send a meme. Send a photo of something you're doing.
0: I think I'm definitely better at keeping up with ours because I am so work oriented. Mm -hmm. I, it's the thing that feels important and safe to me. Um, So I definitely know that I invest in you and us more than I do some of my other long distance friendships. I feel a little bit ill equipped to speak to just long distance friendship in general, because I think ours is so different because it's connected to our work. Mm-hmm. And we both find a lot of uh, validation and fulfillment through our work. Mm-hmm. I don't know, all of this is sounding stupid. No, it's Basically, not. we FaceTime, we text a lot, we go to workshops.
1: We send a million memes during the week. A million.
0: Victoria sends a million memes.
1: I send a million not responses. <laughs>
0: <laughs> funny memes.
1: Yeah, I like, I like, I overload. On me like meme sending is my 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 love language
0: i love receiving them i give zero fucks about responding to them that's
1: fine I, I just want you to see it i just want you to see it
0: you should be friends with e because their love language is also memes okay that's well really not good to memes know. uh
1: gifts. Oh, yeah i mean that's fine too yeah all the things Um, yeah, we plan workshops and events every couple months to come together in person, so we get that, you know, good face-to-face quality time, and I think to reiterate what we were talking about earlier, like, it doesn't feel like work, so we get so much out of this project that it's, like, a soul-expanding expedition. (laughs) Oh!
0: What do you think the hardest part of the distance is? Oh, that's a really good question. Um... Better not take my answer.
1: I think the hardest part is not being able. I think we vibe in this really magical way when we're in each other's presence, and that makes me sad sometimes. That even though we're doing a a mutual like combined task, that we're not next to each other, and we can't go to the beach or we can't go to the park and like brainstorm and 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 manifest I think that's where distance feels a little bit lonely but I think we still do a good job despite of that
0: yeah when you lived here we would spend Wednesdays at Mocha Bees and we would spend 8 hours sitting together at a coffee shop by the end I would be laying in the booth and Victoria would be rubbing chocolate on her face
1: (laughs) it's so true I think one this. of the hardest things
0: for me is I can't do little nice things for you mm-hmm. like as quickly or easily. Like if you had a bad day when you were here, I could just drive over to you and just give you a hug or something. If you're having a bad day there, it'll take three days for a card to get to you, or you know the, the physical things that I could do are pretty limited, and so I think that's really hard for me because I hate not being able to just take care of someone.
1: Yeah, I mean, I remember, like, I think Caitlin shows up in really extraordinary ways, and I remember having a really shitty day, and I was in my studio, and uh, I was just kind of hiding out in there because I needed to be alone, and I felt like crap, and I texted her about it she drove to my studio even though I had something to do I had like an engagement I had to attend and she had something she she had plans but she took the like half an hour in between both of our schedules to drive out to me just to give me a hug listen to me rant for 10 minutes and leave I will see each
0: other this summer
1: yeah, we're going to have a residency this summer and all these workshops coming up and Caitlin doesn't have to teach all summer and we're going to be doing our workshop tour and <laughs> we're going to have plenty of time to rub chocolate all over our faces and make videos for you about it. Um, thank you so much for tuning in, listening to our very first podcast. We can't wait to start um exploring this new avenue our next podcast will be out in a couple of weeks and let us know how you feel comments questions uh we'd love to hear from you and thank you so much for everyone who sent their voices in for our intro it's been so wonderful to have you part of this experience every single time we record it
0: this is the on being in your body with Victoria, Emanuela, and Kaylin Metz. To find more about them, go to this XY blah, blah, blah place. You've been listening to this podcast. <laughs> it is in support by James and Penelope. Thank you. Goodbye, <laughs> I love you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Goodbye for now to the little
0: doos.